Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Breasties. I just wanted to thank all of you so very much for listening to us these past few months. We were so overwhelmed with gratitude to learn that we have listeners all across the globe, including at least one in Austria, where, fun fact, is where I was born. Also ein ganz besonderes Hallihallo an dich, meine liebe Österreicher. That's just a little special shout-out for you. We could not have come this far without you, Breasties. Like a good bra, you've supported us through every episode, and I just wanted to let you know how you can help our baby podcast grow. We recently launched a Patreon where you can become a patron and get access to ad-free episodes as well as some bonuses we're still cooking up for you. We have $5, $10, and $20 per month levels. Every little bit helps, and you can sign up at our website at theverybreastpodcastever.com. If you're not in a position to donate right now, that's okay too. You can still help us by following us on Instagram, sharing our content, engaging with us, recommending guests to us, and most importantly, telling your breasties about the very breast podcast ever. That's my story, Breasties. Back to the show. This is a show about breasts and the people who have them, from bras and sexuality to health and everyday life. This is the very breast podcast ever. Hey Breasties, my name is Nadia Figueroa and I'm a bra designer. From me and our producer Alyssa McHugh, welcome to the very breast podcast ever. As I record this, National Breast Cancer Awareness Month is coming to a close. And although we were a little delayed in bringing you these episodes, we think it's important to raise awareness for this cause all the time, every month, every day, because breast cancer doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care about our pink ribbons or how many miles we march, and we can't protect ourselves from this disease with quarantines, masks, or vaccines. Yet. In some exciting news in the world of breast health, the Cleveland Clinic actually just announced that they are beginning human trials in a vaccine designed to prevent triple negative breast cancer. This form of the disease doesn't respond to hormone therapy or targeted drug therapy, and at this time can only be treated with mastectomies. It accounts for about 12% of all breast cancer cases and unfortunately kills almost 25% of its victims within five years of diagnosis. 
So this potential vaccine is very exciting. But as I'm recording this, the trial is not expected to be complete until September of 2022. So for now, our best bet in protecting our breasts is early detection. In our last episode, I went off on a bit of a tangent on the American Cancer Society. Having done a little more research since then, I still feel the same way. In 2003, the American Cancer Society revised their guidelines regarding not only breast self-exams, but also clinical breast exams, meaning physical exams performed by your doctor. Since we are going to be talking about health and medical issues in this episode, I want to say again, I am not a doctor. I am not a scientist. My opinion on these guidelines is just that, my opinion, and should in no way be taken as medical advice. I should mention also that this change in guidelines applies to people who are of average risk for breast cancer. Now, remember, the average risk of a woman developing breast cancer in her lifetime is 1 in 8, and the ACS defines women of average risk to be someone who, quote, doesn't have a personal history of breast cancer, a strong family history of breast cancer, or a genetic mutation known to increase the risk of breast cancer, such as the BRCA gene. Apparently, studies showed that there was very little evidence that self and clinical breast exams had a role in early detection of breast cancers in women who were also getting regular mammograms. That's fair. A mammogram is far more effective at finding something suspicious than a self-exam. Okay, so who should be getting mammograms? According to the ACS, quote, women between 40 and 44 have the option to start screening with a mammogram every year. Women 45 to 54 should get mammograms every year. Women 55 and older can switch to a mammogram every other year, or they can choose to continue yearly mammograms. Clinical breast exams are not recommended for breast cancer screening among average risk women at any age, end quote. Now, this leaves women under 40 who don't have any known factors that put them at a higher risk for developing breast cancer at kind of a loss, doesn't it? Mammograms are generally not recommended for women in their 20s and 30s because, as we learned from the great Dr. Monica Simmons in our last episode, breast tissue is so dense at those ages that it's harder to see what's going on in there with a mammogram. So if we're not supposed to be performing regular breast exams on ourselves or clinically, are we supposed to just wait until we're 40 and hope nothing happens till then? Well, not really. The American Cancer Society, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force all recommend we practice, quote, breast self-awareness. What this means is that we should be aware of what our breasts generally look and feel like and let our clinicians know if we notice any changes. I've said it before. This is incredibly ambiguous, and we need better guidance. There are conflicting opinions on the issue, though. The National Comprehensive Cancer Network, a not-for-profit alliance of cancer centers, still recommends clinical breast exams every one to three years for asymptomatic average-risk women ages 25 to 39, and every year for women 40 and older. Well, that's better than nothing, anyway. You can probably guess which school of thought I find myself in. The rationale of not recommending breast self-exams anymore seems to be that they just aren't as effective as mammography, and there's a risk of false positives. According to Susan G. Komen for The Cure, studies found that women who did breast self-exams had more false positive results, leading to nearly twice as many biopsies with negative results, and that breast self-exams did not have much of an effect on survival rates. But look, whether you're doing it to check for cancer or just to get to know your breasts, I think it's important to give yourself a breast exam at least once a month. My personal opinion is getting a false positive is a risk worth taking. Just like other cancers, the more time it has to grow, the more risky breast cancer becomes for the patient. So personally, I'd rather take that risk and annoy my doctor with a false positive. 
I still lock my door every night, even though it's pretty unlikely someone will break in, right? I wear a seatbelt, I ride my bike with my helmet on, and I check my breasts. Although most of the time breast changes are benign, according to the National Breast Cancer Foundation, 40% of all diagnosed breast cancers are detected by women who feel a lump. There are other things that can happen to our boobs other than just cancer, and it's good to check and make sure they feel the way they normally do. The National Breast Cancer Foundation has a really easy-to-use guide on their website for giving yourself a breast exam, and we will link this guide in our sources as well. Since our breasts change throughout our menstrual cycle, try to do this at the same time every month. I do it a week after my period ends. First, check your breasts in the shower. Use the pads of your three middle fingers to apply pressure and press down on the entire breast and armpit area. Check for any lump, thickening, hardened knot, or any other breast changes. Listen to our interview with Dr. Simmons in our last episode for what kinds of lumps to watch out for. Next, check your breasts visually. Stand in front of a mirror and look for any asymmetry that isn't normally there. Any change in contour, swelling, dimpling, or changes in the nipples. Check with your arms up and then at your sides and contract your pec muscles to see if they look any different than they normally do. Then lay down and check your breast and armpit area with the pads of your three middle fingers again. Finally, squeeze your nipples and check for any lumps or discharge, meaning unusual liquid coming out of your nipples. If you do find something weird, don't panic. Eight out of 10 lumps found in our breasts are non-cancerous. Just be sure to make an appointment with your doctor to get a professional opinion. Our guest this episode is a breast cancer survivor who found her breast cancer during a self-exam just like the one I just described. I'll let her tell you why, but she asked to remain anonymous, so we'll call her X. X was living the dream in 2008. She loved to cook, bake, and work out in her free time. She was into fashion and designer scarves. She took care of herself. She rarely drank, never smoked, and tended to snack on organic broccoli. By all standards, X was in the population that was considered, quote, average risk. She had no significant family history of breast cancer, and most importantly, she was only 32, and so she'd never even had a mammogram. Then, one day, X found a lump in her left breast that would change her life forever. That lump would turn out to be breast cancer, and she was diagnosed with ductal carcinoma in situ. This type of cancer is considered the earliest form of breast cancer. It lives only in the milk ducts and has not spread yet. At this point, this type of cancer is considered non-invasive or pre-invasive, but it still needs to be treated because it can go on to become invasive breast cancer, which can spread to the rest of your body. To this day, X thanks her breast self-exam for catching it at such an early stage. If she hadn't found that lump, we could be telling a very different story today. X shared her story with us, and I think it's important for all of the breasties out there to know it too. You've heard me talk for long enough, so without further ado, please welcome an amazing breast cancer survivor, excuse me, ex-cancer person, to the very breast podcast ever. Welcome to the very breast podcast ever. Usually I ask our guests to introduce themselves and say hi to the breasties out there, but I understand that you would prefer to remain anonymous, right? Yes, that's true. So can you tell us a little about your breast story and and why you chose to stay anonymous today? Well, I am a deeply private person, um, but, uh, and it's taken me a long time to get to where I can actually talk about the whole breast cancer story. 
uh, openly and now on this even publicly, but um, it's, it's more, it's a breast cancer story. It's not a me story per se. I just, I'm like the vehicle that it happened within or, or that brought it forth, but, or that brings me here, but that's it. So that's really like, I don't think me as me is important to the, as important to the story as, or my story as the actual experience of the breast cancer and what it entailed. Okay, so let's jump right into it then. When were you diagnosed with breast cancer and how did you find out? Oh, it was back in 2008, so 13 years ago, is that my math is right? 14? No, it is 13, it is 13. <laughs> 13 years ago. Um, and it was uh, in May that year when the diagnosis happened. And how did I find it? I was just doing a regular breast exam, which I did every month because I'm the nerd who actually listens to the doctor when she says, do your breast exam and actually learned how to do it. And if you were to ask me now, I'd probably, I'd be like, yeah, you just got to feel it so you understand your breast, but I wouldn't be able to tell you necessarily how to do a breast exam, except just know your breast. But I was just feeling my breast. I did it once a month, about a week after my period. And I just like at the top of my, the areola kind of on the left side, I felt like what felt like a little nub or something. So I pushed a little harder and just felt it. And it was like this, this pea-sized bump that I felt under there, like a dry pea-sized bump. And I thought, that's just weird. So I, all right, and I was talking to my friend about it and she's like, you really gotta go and see that. You've gotta see the doctor. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I will, I will. You're right, you're right, I will. But I didn't, I just didn't. And I can't tell you why I didn't, I just didn't. And then forgot about it. Here comes the next month, I'm doing the breast exam again. Left, right, right side's fine. Go to the left side and there it is again. I'm like, shoot, that feels bigger. And frankly, I don't know if it really was bigger when I think back on it logically now, but at the time, I swear it felt like it was like a marble size at that point. I'm like something's not right. And I'm pushing on it and it's there. It's just not, it's just there. So what did it feel like? Like a, a hard bump inside. Like, I, not like, like one of those zits without heads, but it was like a hard bump inside. And it was like, just like that, that dry pee thing I told you about. It was just, just there. Um, it didn't hurt. It didn't, it, it wasn't sticking out. It wasn't, it was just there inside. So I you had um, to like push down to feel it. Uh, like a little bit. It wasn't like I pushed very hard. Like these breast exams, when you learn how to do, you really don't have to push too hard. You just got to feel your breast, like push with little pressure. That's it. So I didn't have to push too hard. Fine. And was it like or one month it wasn't there and the next month it was? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I missed it the first, the month, the months before or what, but, or maybe that's the point where it was palpable, but. Well, isn't it funny how we like, we do these things to protect ourselves and then, but then we, we immediately are like, no, 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 it's not going to be that. So exactly. we like talk ourselves down and we're like, I don't need to do anything further. Like it was just some, you know, we're like, oh, no, 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 no. So I think yeah. I, that, that's like super common. My other takeaway so far is that we should all just be feeling our breasts more. Like yes. not do it, like, let's not even call it a breast exam. Let's just start, all start like feeling ourselves <laughs> up more often. I just think get, I could get be to totally, know your breasts more. <laughs> I think that that is a PR message or like a, 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 thing that I could get behind. <laughs> 100%, yeah, no, yeah. Totally. And there's the, you know, the, the whole feel your boobies thing. Um. Feel Your Boobies is a nonprofit organization founded in 2004 by Lee Hurst, a woman who was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer at the young age of 33. She found a lump in her breasts accidentally, and it wasn't until two years later that a nurse practitioner encouraged her to get a mammogram. Like X, Lee did not think much about her breasts until she was diagnosed with breast cancer. 
Her experience made her realize that she never really paid that much attention to messages about breast cancer before, so she started this foundation to spread a friendly message to remind women everywhere to feel their boobies. Nice work, Lee. That was one thing I learned that same year from a nurse in the, she happens to have a badge on that said, feel your boobies. And it was in one of the most horrible moments of this experience of learning this, where I saw that badge on her and I was like, what, where did you get that? And she took it off and gave it to me. And it was, and I, I was like, oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, and it just said, feel your boobies. And it was the first time I had like, I'd never, never thought about my breasts before this, like, like literally like taking them seriously or anything. They were just part of me and I felt them and that was it. But the feel your boobies thing took me a step outside myself. Like someone else is saying, feel your, and it was a sweet thing too. It was booby, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, give it a level of levity um, and, and, and friendliness, not mm-hmm. scariness. Um, so what made you finally go to the doctor? Uh, back to my friend, I'm talking to her again. And she's like, you've really got to go. And I'm like, no, you're right. I've really got to go. At this point, I, I was scared. I was really scared. So I went and um, it was my regular OBG. And she's a really blunt person. And she's just to the point. She's not lovey-dovey. And I love that about her. I don't like doctors who get all fuzzy with you. Um, she's very direct. And she goes, well, it's probably nothing, but you should go get... Um, she said a biopsy or oh no she said you should go get a I guess an x-ray go get imaging so I'm like okay fine it's probably nothing but I'll go do that so I I I, I was an animal workaholic so I just scheduled it in between meetings at work and a week later I think it was a week later something like that I went and got it and while I was there I thought I was done I thought I was finished they took all the imaging and so on and I'm I'm sitting there waiting 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 and a nurse comes out to me or a technician comes out to me and says you know we need to bring you back in to do some more imaging and I was like, why? She was, oh, it's just part of the part of this. And I was like, didn't we finish? Aren't we done? And she goes, what we, they found some something that they need to look, look at. Like, I remember she said calcification. I'd never even heard that word. I thought it was something to do with like, calcification to me has to do with what happens to pipes, mm-hmm. like eroded <laughs> pipes or something, not the body. Um, so we, I go back, I, und- I was already dressed and ready to go. And I undressed, get into this gown. And I, I was 32 at the time. And I remember looking around me at the women who were in there and it was all women and going, I'm in the wrong place. These women are old. Like, and frankly, they're probably my age as I am now, but <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm just too young to be here. And that's when I felt something not right. So I go in there and they take me into this doctor and, and he was showing me this, this shading, the shadowing rather on the, on the picture. And he was saying, so this here, and I, I recall this calcification that he said, he said, we need to look into this. You know, we need to get a biopsy. And I'm like, well, why, what could it be? He's like, it could be nothing, but it could also be cancer. And I was like, oh. And I think that was the first time the word cancer came into this where I was like, shit, this is serious. But okay, so what do we do next? I'm always like, what do we do next? How do we get this? What do we learn from this? What's the next step? Boom, boom, get it done. And he, and he said, so now we've got to set up a biopsy for you. All right, we'll set up a biopsy. Again, no. The only time I'd ever heard of a biopsy was maybe in dermatology when they like have to biopsy up something they take out of your skin or something. I don't know. So we, um, I set that appointment up. I think it was also within a week or something like that. And I get, and I was getting these appointments fast. They were happening very fast. You didn't have to wait much. That's never a good sign, right? Like if they're like, we'll take you right now. Right. Except when you're happy they took you in because I'm like, I don't have to wait. And I wasn't registering. You've got to understand. I wasn't thinking, even though he said the word cancer, I'm 32. It's, I'm young, I'm healthy. I wasn't even thinking that. It scared me in the moment, but that was it. 
so a week later, it must have been, I went in for the biopsy. And um, and I remember they I asked the doctor how it was. And back then, you didn't Google everything. Like, it wasn't first on your mind to Google something. And she said, oh, it's just a needle. They put it in. It goes in. They take me out. They insert. They go, All right, right. A needle. Like, the needle you can draw blood with is what I thought. That thing was so thick. Oh, I, no. I, it was very thick. It was really, I was like, that's going to go in me, in my breast. It was long, too. I, if I recall, it was long. It wasn't it's like, probably what? better that you couldn't Google it. Like really? I would almost <laughs> rather not know going into that. I don't want to visual. I don't want to anticipate that. Yeah, like, I want it to be something I have to just deal with in the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like until I'm like laying on the bed and I can't leave. I can't. So um, they, uh, I lie down. The nurses, you know, set me up and all. And I think it was a local anesthetic they put on it. Something like just to numb it up. And. Uh, the weirdest thing happened to me when, when, uh, when, when they started this, the needle goes in, I don't remember pain. I don't remember any of that. None of that. Like, I just remember that the needle, like going, that's a freaking big needle. And I went in and the nurse is holding my hand and suddenly like the sound of something happened. And I'm like, what, what happened? She goes, the power went out. The power on the machine went out and the needle's no. in me. And I'm like, what? And you, oh I just froze. God. Yeah, I just froze. I'm like, this, 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 what? And she goes, this has never happened before. I'm like, that is not consoling to me. <laughs> but before I knew it, they had it back on. And so that was, I was, it was very traumatizing that they had it back on. Things were fine. They finished the biopsy. And, uh, and I left. Um, a little shaken. But I decided I'm going to forget about this. Now, I, I did a lot of I'm going to forget about this. So I'm going to forget about this until they tell me what it is. Probably nothing like the doctor said. So uh, I was going on vacation the following week. It was May. I was going on vacation with my mom. And I was taking her on a trip to Spain. And we're on this trip. And while we're in, uh, uh, we're at the top of the Alhambra um, uh, Cat Palace. I think of it now. I was like, we, were at, we had gotten like to the top of, there was a courtyard. Uh, we were in the courtyard. And I, I, my, phone, my phone rang. And I was like, oh, mom, listen, I've got to take this. This might be the doctor. Because it, it was the only number that was that was connected to that I was connected to had my doctor so pick up I stepped away from my mother I pick up and um she I don't recall her words I do not remember what she said or how she said it I just know that I heard her tell me it the biopsy results were cancer and I don't know if she's I don't know what else she said I just remember that and my heart dropped I, I just I I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? In my mind, I'm going to be sure. But, and again, it was a short call. I don't remember anything except that I walked away from that call knowing I'd cancer. And I turned to my mother who was watching me and she just, she just knew what it was. And we just okay. sat down by the courtyard and, and she just, we just hugged each other. And I don't know if she cried. I don't know if I cried. Maybe we both did. I don't remember. But at some point, not, you know, at some point I finishes and I finished and, and we stood up and I was like, mom, I don't want to do the rest of this tour. I just want to go back. And she's like, yeah, okay, we'll go back. And we rented a car and you had mentioned earlier about not speaking Spanish. I don't speak Spanish either, but I did the whole thing in like my broken English and a little bit at my broken English, broken, what broken bits of Spanish and so on. But so we, I never finished the tour. I didn't finish Alhambra. I only had like half of it done. You we, still had to like finish your whole vacation after that, right? I, we did. Well, so we had three days left on the vacation and my mother gets into, you know, like that mode of we're going to beat this. We're going to work on this. And she's like, and I know this doctor and we'll call him and we'll get your uncle here and your brother can do this. And we can, 
and she's going off and I was dead silent. I was just an absolute, when I think back on it now, I was uh, the one time there's like, I'm a talker. And the one time I can't talk is when I'm hurt or in shock. Like I, no words don't come out and I'm driving. And finally I said, mom, here's what we're going to do. We have three days left. We're not going to think about this. We're not going to talk about it. We're just going to erase it. And I'm very good at like truncating things and putting them in blocks and coming to them when, when the time is ready for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she just was like, okay, all right. And I, today I, I feel bad for what I put her through because we were actually sharing a room on this trip. And this poor woman was in the same room with me all day. And it's, it's my mother and she knew it the whole time. Like, and, but I would not allow, the talk was taboo. We went to dinner with my friends. I, had, I was visiting friends there. We had went to dinner with my friends. We, went, we did a bunch of other stuff. We never talked about it. And she, bless her heart, stuck to it. I mean, but she's your mom. I wouldn't expect any less from a mom in that situation to like just understand that. But can you imagine the hell I put her through? Like, I like when I think of it now, I'm like, what? You didn't didn't put her through any hell, though. I don't. I doubt she sees it that way. But totally valid. (laughs) Did you tell your friends? Did you tell anyone? You just put it away for three days. I didn't tell. I didn't tell anyone. No, my friends there. You mean in Spain? Yeah. No, I didn't say anything. So when I first got there I think I mentioned to her we were talking about stuff and I mentioned oh this but when I, I never they didn't know no one knew and what I didn't want is anybody looking at me and like oh are you or being treated differently mm-hmm. like that. and that's that that became a theme for me throughout this whole experience like I don't want your pity I don't want I will get this we're get, this is going to get done this is, this is you know um and then there's moments where like it's okay to have someone's pity and I just it's I don't know it's not pity but i know what you mean it's like because i'm the same way i hate i hate pity like do not accept that emotion from anybody never sometimes yeah and i guess sometimes it's just human compassion we feel for each other i think it's also about framing right if we look at it as pity it's going to make us feel some type of way but if you look at it as empathy someone's feeling with you yeah 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 and it's Um, hard it's hard in the beginning when you're like you're in absolute shock and mm -hmm. you just and, and also it's like I'm a healthy person. This couldn't have, this, this, they've got to be wrong. And that's what happened to me afterwards when I got back and the doctor was like, she's, I know I had to call when I got back. I did. I went to pick up my results. Back then it wasn't like now where everything's um, connect, all the hospitals are connected and so on. So I had to go, I remember getting in a cab from the office, going, picking up my, my x-rays and on the way they're going, they're going to tell me we made a mistake. It wasn't you. It, the files were mixed up. It was wrong. so, so sorry we made a mistake. And when they talk about those stages of like shock, denial, grief, whatever they are, they're true. It's real. Like I, I was like, they're going to tell me it was, and they didn't. They handed me the, the x-rays. They handed me this everything. And no one said, by the way, it was a mistake. These are your real ones. It didn't happen. I get in a cab and I go to the other doctor. And that was the first surgeon I met who talked to me about my results. So I understand you saw a few doctors actually away at the beginning of this diagnosis process. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How yeah. did you end up choosing your doctors? I I really didn't know. Like today, they're always like, get a second opinion, get a third opinion. I didn't know about any about that that back then. It was just like, so I get to this one doctor that, that was connected with my OBG. So I've got my x-rays. I'm going to him. I get to him. He's an older guy. Um, and that's his nurse is the one who gave me the, the, the feel your boobies badge. I get in there and, um, he puts, hangs up my, he's got my pictures, my images hung up in front of him and he's looking at them and he's just like shaking his head and making that sound like that. And I'm sitting on this bed in a robe 
naked and well half naked underneath and and i'm going in my mind i haven't asked him he turned and he doesn't even turn to me he just goes it was something to the effect of you're so young this is a mastectomy right off and that was the first time i heard the word mastectomy like think about oh it gosh. i know i hadn't even like none of this computed to that point like I'm you were still, still like accepting you have cancer, you know, like, you're still, you're think, still processing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and he was just like, and I'm sure he sees thousands of me. Uh, but he was like, this is just bad. This is, this is a mastectomy. That's when I'm like, though, I wish doctors, that's when I like when doctors do take that like bedside manner approach though. Like they need to know because like, even if he sees a thousand patients, like part of his job is to remember that you don't see a thousand doctors. You don't get told this every day that this is a moment for you that needs like a little bit of finesse and like sensitivity. Right. Like, and it's not the nurse's job to fix his, like his bedside manner, you know, but, but the nurse did walk me through it. And I just, it was like that crying jag or whatever it was I had on Alhambra doesn't pales. I just crumpled. It was like, mastectomy. to me, like literally I'm thinking you're going to chop off my breast. That, that, like, that's it. It's going. And I guess at some point, I don't really remember. I kind of remember how he looked. He was kind of rotund and small, but I, I, I don't remember much else except that they, the nurse took me into this room, I guess, to calm me down or to help me. And it was, they're like, we do have a psychologist on, the, you know, on, on call if you need. I'm like, a psychologist? Like, what, what is happening? And that was a long, um, a long doctor's visit, I remember. And I walked out of there knowing I needed a mastectomy. And my brother worked not too far from me. And I, I, I just, I was so disoriented, like so, so disoriented. I, I called him and I, I just said, look, I, I've got cancer. And I can't remember, I think, my mom might have let my siblings know at that point. I can't remember, but I know she was like, "Are you okay with me telling them?" And I know she did tell them I couldn't do it. I think I also didn't quite believe I had it before this. Uh, and uh, and so I I walked from to where my office was and called my brother and I'm like, "I can't. I'm shaking. I can't even go up." Can you? So he met me and he sat with me. I don't know what happened after that. I don't remember. I just remember thinking, "He'll help me. He'll get me through this today." Um. And I, I don't recall much after that, but once it sunk in, that's when I was like, I don't like this doctor. Maybe he's wrong. And you, you know, and now that I'm thinking back on this, it's still that denial. They're still not like, no, maybe he's wrong. And that's when it hit me. I've got to go find out about another doctor. And I recalled that my old boss had, his wife had had breast cancer. So I called him. And of course, in calling him, I had to tell him it was one of the first calls I'd made to somebody outside of my immediate family or spoken to first person people I've spoken to outside my immediate family about this so I had to get through the shock of him hearing it but he gave me a doctor's name and then I don't know where I got a third doctor from someone else gave me a third doctor it was all word of mouth these doctors that were um oh it was somebody I worked with at that point once so a few weeks into this I'm now letting people know I figured out okay I've got to let my boss know because if I have to get surgery and so on I don't know I'm going to be out of the office. I don't know what's going on. And I was managing a team of 40 people at the time. I was going to ask you about, like, did everything else in your life just melt away? Because I often think when something like this, if if something like this were to happen to me or something like really like jarring, I just feel like I would abandon every other responsibility I have. Or do you go into like self-preservation mode and you just kind of execute as you were? So it's funny you asked that because when I think back on it, what happened was like, 
I literally had parallel lives going. Like I had work, I had the cancer issue I was dealing with. I had my personal emotions to deal with. I had, I didn't, I don't remember if I had a sleep pattern change. I just remember like waking up early all the time. Um, and there's another line too, like that, that kind of went through this. Like there's an emotional part that just weaves through all of them regardless. There are moments I had to walk away from a meeting or, or, or not, uh, you know, just go to the bathroom and sit for a bit and deep breath, okay? You'll deal with the cancer part when you're done with this meeting. You'll deal with the cancer part after you've talked to so-and-so, you know? Um, Were you thinking long-term at all or was it just like, okay, today I'm dealing with this appointment and like just kind of step-by-step or, or were you thinking- I wasn't thinking long-term. I wasn't, I, I hadn't at that point where now we're like a few weeks into this, I was not thinking long-term. I hadn't even like, like I'd heard that one doctor who said mastectomy, that's it. I didn't, I don't even think I even thought of chemo at the time. Like I, this, this, these thoughts didn't come these days. So I, you asked about the surgeons. I saw, so, so, so that was the one surgeon. Then I saw another surgeon at, um, at and that guy, he gave me like this moment of like hope. And he goes, and remember at this point, I've not Googled anything. I'm just going with what these doctors are saying. I've, it's not even occurred to me to Google stuff or look up anything or do any reading. Um, he goes, this doctor says, oh, I think we can do a lumpectomy here. I'm like, oh, a lumpectomy. Well, I've heard of this, what, what, you know, like, what, what, so, you know, tell me about it. He goes, so we go in, we excise this, we get clean margins. I remember all these words, you know, and he's explaining it to me. And I, I'm, in my mind, I remember this thought, I'm like, will there be like a, will my breast have like this con, con, concave, inward is concave, right? Concave, concave um, uh, uh, part to it. Like, what is my breast gonna look like if they just take a lump out? Like, I'm thinking a lump, you know? And I asked this question, I said, and I remember this so vividly, I asked, well, what about disfigurement? Disfiguring my breast, will I be disfigured? And he kind of bristled and looked at me and said, I don't disfigure my patients. Oh, really? Like, who the hell are you? And like, it was like- It's, it's my breasts, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I don't disfigure. And I'm like, and he probably didn't even mean it like that, but you know what, doctor, God complex, whatever, I'm done, I, I'm out of here. I left, I was, and I left that, and I think it was the first time I experienced being mad. I'm like, fuck you. Like, no, I don't, what if it happens? Like, whatever, I don't, mm-hmm. and after him, I went to my third, the third guy. And this guy, I, I always tell, like, I, this guy just, such a good doctor. I mean, you talk about bedside manners, you talk about a doctor who, who's who's honest who's transparent who's not belittling your your you like that doctor did like I felt he did who's not telling you he's going to chop off your boob um and he had like out of I did break down with this doctor and he's explaining to me he actually drew a picture for me he was the first doctor who actually sat down in front of me um and he said um so he drew the breast form. He goes, this is what you have and so on. And we could do a lumpectomy, but understand that we might not have clean margins. And at that point, I'm like, can you explain clean margins to me? He, he spent so much time with me. Um, he explained clean margins. He explained what the breast looks like, where, he, where, my, where my cancer is right now, they ha- what they have to check, what a sentinel node is, where the nodes are, why, why this is actually a good stage I'm in. And he had this magic trick. Out of nowhere appeared a Kleenex box. I swear to you that Kleenex box was not on the table when we started. <laughs> and I, I guess I, at some point I started like sniffling or whatever. And there was, a, I was like, wow. <laughs> um, so he was the doctor I ended up going with. He also asked me, I, I saw him a few times later and I'm jumping ahead here, but I saw him obviously for everything else I needed up until now. I still see him. 
but uh, first few times I would go in, he goes, is there anyone, do you have anyone with me? And I went to all these appointments alone. I just, on my, and it wasn't because, oh, I just went on my own. They were between, they were in the middle of the day, business day, et cetera. And I, that's the just another thing you had to deal with that day. Exactly. Exactly. And like you, you have the emotional moment when you're there, but you walk out, you clean the tears and you go to meetings, you know, no one knows, but you would always ask me, is any, is anyone with you? Is anyone waiting with you? And I finally, once I would say no, and he'd be okay. And one time I got indignant. I'm like, you know, doctor, you keep asking me that. I don't, it's not that I don't have a support system. I just need to do this on my own. I'm, you know, I'm busy. And he goes, no, that's, really not why I'm asking you that. I'm asking you that because a lot of times I sit down with the patient and I explain everything to her or him. And then they say, wait a minute, I'm going to get my husband who's in the waiting room or my wife in the waiting room. And then I have to repeat everything again. So he's like, I just, and it was literally like him being efficient and yeah. me becoming indignant. I mean, I don't, and I really appreciate it. I was like, oh, that's why. Oh, okay. You don't think I'm, I'm all by myself then. You're not. He's like, I, I just don't want to repeat myself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's how I went about finding my doctors. I hated two and loved one. So the one you loved, what prognosis did he give you? What did he tell you? So he did not say what that other doctor said, which is, this is a mastectomy right away. You know, like he didn't, he didn't do anything like that. He, he said, look, we can, we, we can do a lumpectomy, but understand that if we don't have um, clean margins, we might have to go in again. He also said, he ordered another MRI of some sort. I don't know what, what, what was different about this one, but he ordered an MRI. So he said, but I want to see more. So I remember he went, while, while that MRI was getting processed or whatever, I went away for the weekend and did some thinking and soul searching. Uh, and then I started reading. That's the weekend I started reading. And that's when I, um, uh, I, I told myself, when you come back from that weekend, I went and spent the weekend at my mom's place just away. And I, I set goals for myself. So as a normal part of my life, just like I, I like by Tuesday, I'm going to have this done. And then if I don't have it done, I reassess. Why don't I have that done? So I, it was basically, look, okay, they've talked to you about mastectomies, about lumpectomy, et cetera. So when I, I'm going to make that decision this weekend, I'm going to read, 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 figure it out and see what I'm comfortable with. I know that by that Monday, I had decided um, I did not want to go through the trouble of a lumpectomy only if, if there's a chance I'd have to go through it again. I also was like, I'm way too young to have to do this again. I don't. And, I, and then I started reading up on what are the chances of recurrence, things that things that were new to me at this point, like the lumpectomy versus mastectomy and, and the chance of recurrence in a lumpectomy was, was far higher. Did they tell you what stage you were at? Yes. Um, they said, I, I'm, I'm, I know it was like zero to one. It was, it was early, early, early. So very, very early. Very, very early. Like it hadn't left the ducts. It's a good thing you did that breast test. Yes, 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 yes. It's, it's, I, I can't stress enough to feel your boobies. And by the time I got back to New York, I said I had decided I was going to have the mastectomy and I was already reading up on recovery, what you do, like what, what are the steps on mastectomy? And, and here I went into full swing mode of research, research, research. But I was also aware that I, there was, I'm a novice. I don't know anything I'm reading. I have to double check with my doctors. Um, That's just such an important point, though, I think, to stress because I like as I'm listening to you tell the story, it's like you move from space to space, like you hear about it, you process like it's all like a space to space thing. You get to research mode. But so many people with the Internet nowadays, I think, like can easily fall off a cliff without remembering to anchor themselves to that very like thing of like 
I'm reading this. Don't let it overtake everything. Right. And like go back and reinforce it with the person who's the most knowledgeable about exactly. it. Right. And like exactly. allowing the the doctors to make the decisions, not so much make the decisions, but but find the information for you and, and not right. to speculate. Right. But now you say about the thing about allowing the doctors to make to, to make the decisions or one thing that floored me in this whole process was how much decision making power I had. Like to me, you go to the doctor with a cold or an earache, like they give you something, you take it. You don't ask, you just, they don't say, would you prefer this antibiotic or that antibiotic? They're like, you're allergic to this, you're taking this. But with this breast cancer, they really like, this was new to me. These doc, the, the, the doctor and his team and so on truly made me a part of the decision-making process. And I'm sure they were guiding me along as we went, but I really felt like I was in this with them. And, and it gave me, when I think back on it now, a sense of control. Because um, I mean, like you're about to hand over part of your body, and you know, um, right. So for some reason, I remember what day of the week this was. It was a Wednesday. I was leaving work. It was around six six thirty, and my doctor, who was gonna, who we had, uh, we had, I think at that point we had scheduled a date. No, we hadn't scheduled a date yet. Calls me on my walk home. I remember exactly where I was, and he says, you know, I've reviewed the MRI and I'm going to recommend. And I said, doctor, don't, 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 don't say anything. I know what I want to do. And he was like, okay. And I told him, I said, we're doing a mastectomy. I, and I just went on. I'm like, I am not, I don't want to go through any of it. I don't have the time for this bullshit. I want it done. And I, we're going to like take the next step with me and tell me how you can reconstruct this. Cause I don't want a flat chest and I don't want to be lopsided, but I'm doing a mastectomy. And this doctor's just, he's just, just such a smooth person um, and compassionate. And he said, I'm glad you said that. That's where I was going to lead with this. If you still wanted, after reviewing your MRI, if you still wanted to go lumpectomy, I wanted to warn you that we might have to go back in. Um, I don't recall where it was, but it was, and I think he said it was an aggressive cancer. And I would imagine it has to be an aggressive cancer if you're 32 and healthy and it still managed to get through all the fail safes. But that's how I, that's how I decided with the mastectomy and the doctor agreed with me. The doctors don't tell you what to do, by the way, how to prepare. There's none of that. They just like, okay, the next thing you have to do now is make your appointment. So that was the first point of preparation. I made my appointment. It was I'll never forget it. And um, I made my appointment and I just went back to work. I just went back to work and started reading. And then I, that's when my reading kicks in even more. Like now I've got, the, it's almost like my brain freed. There was a goal I was getting to and I had steps to get there on my own. And I just started reading up. Uh, the only other part of this, like the preparation that was significant was understanding that it's six weeks off after that. They give you six weeks. Um, so I'm like, okay, six weeks. I'll be out for six weeks. Office has to know. I need a backup to fill in my spot. Um, and then I thought, I don't want people to think, what if, like, I didn't want them thinking I had some horrific disease or something. I mean, I did, but I didn't want them thinking it. <laughs> so, uh, and given what it was in my age, I talked to my HR person with whom I became pretty good friends after this, because uh, her mother actually was going through breast cancer and was diagnosed three weeks before me. And I told her, and I had a team of women, one man was on my team, that was it. And I, um, I talked to her about it and I said, I, I want to tell them, I want to tell them this is the reason I'm going to be out for six weeks. And then we'll figure out who can back me up. So we had one of my, one of the meetings, we had weekly meetings we had, I said it. And um, I don't recall choking up or tearing up. I just, just told them and everybody was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And this is exactly what I, I don't like and I hate, but I understand like, what else is somebody going to say? And of course, once that happens, it spreads. People start talking to each other and all. And it's things I never met. You know, you think everybody's going to know and that's it. But like it spread throughout the office. <laughs> I 
like I hear myself say things sometimes in reaction and I immediately like I would kill that person if they said that to me in that situation yeah. you hear yourself do it but it's like so like I think it's just honestly like ugh. <laughs> but one thing I learned Alyssa through this is that what people say might come out awkward and they might and they might not mean it the way it hit your ears but they meant it they're from their it came from their heart you know and and as awkward as i remember one woman said something to her i just want to hang up on her and i'll tell you that in a minute but but before that it's just like as as shocking and awkward as it is for me to hear that i have cancer and then to tell someone that person on the other end is hearing it for the first time too so like i learned a new um like a new um of communication with people and understanding that you have I had to put myself in the hearer or the listener's shoes or ears rather did you find yourself having to sympathize with them um sometimes yeah other some, some people like you're just like oh okay weirdo you move on you know like yeah thank you you did you know but but for the most part yeah you 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 kind of find yourself in a moment where you have to console people hey it's okay I'm look at what I'm doing there's a way out of this I'm getting this done you know this one woman called me uh at work um and she uh, she, I knew who she was. She was somebody I dealt with and so on, but it, I wasn't close to her. And she just said, I'm so sorry. I heard about your, your cancer diagnosis. And I, you know, I was like, thank you. Thank you for calling me. I really appreciate it. And she goes, and you know, you're young. You'll get through this. What do you need breasts for? You know what? Breastfeeding? You don't need to breastfeed. There's always a, you can feed babies anything with a bottle of milk. And I hadn't even thought of losing a, like breastfeeding uh, privileges or rights or whatever. It had never occurred to me. And it was something I was hit with this sh- and this woman had just given birth and had another child, had two kids. She'd just given birth. So she was like, I guess this was like fresh on her mind. She did not mean to hurt me with what she said. I know that. But it was just a, a, an element of this I had not even ventured into. Like, and it was suddenly I, oh my God, I'll never breastfeed from this breast, from this one breast. Obviously, it was just one, but it was a shock. Like, so things like that would happen. Um, I had uh, one guy, I was dating this guy at the time and um, he obviously knew and, and um, I went to, we, I met him at a, at a bar and he was like, listen, this, and he, I didn't even know this was going to happen. He goes, it's my friend so-and-so, he's a doctor, I told him and he'd like to talk to you. And I'm like, what are you telling people for? Like, but that's when you realize people do things to help you and don't necessarily think they might be upsetting you or embarrassing you or hurting you. And I got, I was so upset with that. Um, but things like that happen. So, so what did I do to prepare? Work-wise, I, you know, I set everything up for work, got my backups in place. I read, 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 stumbled upon things. I went back to the doctors for to ask them. And then what to do? How did you mentally prepare for losing your breasts? Did you say goodbye to them? I did. I did. I and this happened like maybe a week or so before the surgery. I was like oh my God, my body's never going to look the same again. And I was uh, out shopping or out with my friend shopping and uh, cute dress. And it was like a halter top dress. And at the time I hadn't quite registered how the reconstructive surgery will happen, what what my breasts will look like. And I just kept thinking something's going to be different. I didn't really think too much about, but I remember thinking I'll never be able to wear a dress like that complete falsehood obviously I had no idea I can wear a dress like that now and and be very you know happy with myself but uh and I was like oh my god my my breast and that's when it hit me like my body is not going to look the same and am I going to recognize it so I don't know how this thought came to me but I remember I was at the beach and I was and I thought I'm going to get do a photo shoot of my breasts I just want to remember them I just 
it's just me, it's just mine. And I just want, like, I just want to re recognize them. So, yeah. So talked to an in-law of mine who I knew had like creative friends and so on. Cause I didn't want to like go online, find somebody and all. I just, I wanted it to be private and stay, stay just between me and one other person. And she, she knew a photographer who was an events photographer. Um, but I was like, could you ask her if she'd do that? And I wanted it to be a woman. It was really important to me that it was a woman. I didn't want the sexual pictures. I didn't want them to be, I just wanted my a picture of my dog. And she put me in touch with her and I, um, it's funny because knowing I was going to be talking to you guys today, I went back and looked at these. I she put I did a quick photo shoot with her again. Now, I when I think back on this, I'm like, why didn't I luxuriate and take time for things? I didn't. I literally set up an hour with her after work. I did it, and I had a sister coming in to visit that that evening. I, I did it, and then my, I met with my sister. I did it. I got home. I met with my sister and did everything, and never told my sister about it. But I just sat down, and it was it was taking my my top off and my I was wearing a dress and my and my bra off I was very uncomfortable and she she was like I've never done this before you tell me what you want and I'm like just start taking pictures just just so lie this way lie that way and I have like about I think it was like 50 pictures something like that and it was I had agreed with her it would be $500 for the session and when we were done um I was going to give to her in cash and she was like don't worry about it yeah she, she didn't take the money and then when she developed the pictures, she also gave me the negatives and said, these are for you. And God, I don't know where the negatives are now, but I do have the pictures. And I look at them now and then, but it's been a while since I've looked at them until last night when I started looking at them. And I was like, oh, I kind of like them. They're pretty, but I'm so happy right now too that it's uh, the nostalgia is a strange nostalgia. Yeah. But I'm happy. I, I'm really, really happy I did that because it it does help me when I need to remind myself that they were pretty and I, I don't know what it reminds me of honestly I don't even know if it was just they were pretty they were just I just when you just want to see yourself like looking at yourself when you were young like yeah that's that's me that's my body that's yeah. I, I you can't always see it in the moment when you are yourself and so having that to like look back on I can just imagine yeah. it like yeah you know it, it's yeah yeah it totally makes sense <laughs> So this was like a week before your first surgery, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And my yeah, it was about And a week. they um before we jump into your surgery, they didn't tell you that you needed chemo or radiation or anything like that. So they said there's a chance I might need radiation if I did a, a lumpectomy. Oh no, 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 no. Actually, that reminds me, I totally forgot about this. If I did a lumpectomy, I would they would have done, they would have recommended radiation. And that was one of the reasons I did, I, I went on for the mastectomy because I did not, there was an option not to have radiation. I didn't want it. So you, thank you for bringing that up. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that but stuff I, is brutal. It's, yeah, it, I didn't want it. I, I just didn't. And it was like, you have this, like, take my whole breast and no radiation or take part of it and I might have cancer again and I have to have radiation. So, so I didn't, I, I, that was one of the um, factors that helped me decide to go with the mastectomy. But then, um, he he had told me that the, the chances of me needing um, chemo were slim, and the reason was that the cancer was so small, and they were sure it would be gone if they took the whole breast. Um, I did meet with an oncologist afterwards. They did assess me, and they just and there was like you know there's there's all those tamoxifen pills and so on they could put you on, but they they basically were like we just will monitor you. You don't you don't need it. Like they I, I think they really believe they've taken it all out. 
because it had, you know, you have, so there's things I learned, like there's a sentinel node, which I think of as the sentry, the guarding node lymph here. And then there's the lymph nodes. And mine had got, it was still in the duct, like it hadn't gone anywhere. It hadn't gone, gotten out. Feel your boobies. That's why I found it. <laughs> I just have to keep throwing it in. So tell me about your first surgery. They did the mastectomy and reconstruction all in one go, right? Yep. All in one go. So can I step back right before my first surgery? Because I yeah, of course. something that I think was like, I'm so proud of myself now at this, at this, this many years later that I stumbled upon this and did it. But in my random reading, I had moved into reading also not just books, but things into the, on the internet at this point, because I felt like I had a good base. But I read about this study in Italy about nipple sparing. I'm like nipple sparing, what is that? And that, that, that there are options to have a mastectomy and keep your nipple. So I thought I'd be, this would be gone. My whole breast would be gone. They, you know, like I would just have that scar across. Um, and when I read up on this, so I had to go in for my pre, whatever they call it, when you have to sign all those papers and stuff and basically, Pre-up. yeah, all that yeah. stuff. Like basically like if you, if I die on the, on the table, it's okay. I agree. It's fine. Um, and I, it was the plastic surgeon I was doing this with, because remember now, like you said, I was going to do the, 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 the mastectomy, which is the breast, the breast tissue removal and the plus and the plastic surgery which was the reconstruction, they would start the reconstruction right after that in the same go. So I was doing my pre-op work with the, with the plastic surgeon. I said, what, do you, what, what is your take on nipple sparing? And he said, well, that's something your breast surgeon needs to recommend. If he says, you know, you're a candidate for it, then yeah, we can do that. Sure. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. hold on, I'm not signing anything. I need to go see the breast surgeon. 
this is days before. So I go to the restaurant and I'm like mad. Like this is the doctor I chose and I liked it. He was so just the best doctor. And I get to him like, what about um, nipple, nipple sparing? And he's like, what about it? I'm like, am I a candidate? Because you, I, don't, I, I can't remember how he responded. But it was kind of like, I don't know. You might be, we don't know possibly. And at that point, I'm like, I, and he, this poor doctor, I don't even think, he probably doesn't even remember, but I felt like I was in interrogation mode at that point. I'm like, well, how many, how many breast surgeries have you done in your career? And I think he rattled up like, the, I don't know how many thousands. This was like, like the many, day before your surgery, right? A few days, yeah. Like it was a Monday, <laughs> my surgery was Thursday, something like that. And, and he goes, well, how, uh, and I asked him then, um, and how many of those were nipple sparing? And he goes, very few. I'm like, a percentage. And he gives me this tiny little percentage, and I'm in shock. Like you've done thousands and only this many were nipple sparing. So now I, I'm humbled a little bit and I'm like, well, why? He goes, because not everybody's a candidate. Usually like the, like cancer is usually found in older women. I'm like, okay, I'm not old. All right. So, and, and uh, something about the circulation and your circulatory system isn't as good when you're older. And often sometimes it's done and the nipple doesn't, it doesn't stay. It just falls off. You know, it dries up. I, I'm using very lame in terms here, but mm-hmm. that's what I understood from him. Um, but wait, do they just not know until you're in the surgery? Um, or like, no, how do they, so, when does he know? Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Here's how, here's how it is. So, so he basically said, yeah. So it was like, I'm, I'm me. I'm like, I'm like, I'm young. My circulation is good. So why am I not a candidate? He said, you could be, would you like us to do this? And this is where I'm telling you where they made, you are a part of the decision-making, but no one told me about this one. I like, I would have not. So I, I was like, yes, definitely. If I can keep my, my, my nipples, I want to keep them. He goes, okay. So your question, Alyssa, how do they know? And when do they know that they can do it? He said, we have to do a biopsy of the nipple, a scrape of the nipple, the inside of the nipple before, while we're in there. And he said, you might come out without a nipple. You might have one. If the biopsy comes back clean, they do it right there. If the biopsy comes back clean, you know, we'll spare it. So, um, that was part of my preparation. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going, I want to do nipple sparing. He goes, okay, then we'll do that. So now I go back to my other surgeon. I say, okay, I'm like, okay, I'm good to go. So the next question is you, you've gone back, you've signed your papers and now you're about to go in. Tell me about the procedure. What did they do? Can I just tell you, they put me on this bed that had these warm bubbles. Like there was, was oh my God, <laughs> I felt like I was in heaven. I was scared, but I was numb. But I laid down on, and it was warm. It was so warm. It was just so, there were like 12 people in that room. And I'm a person, I, I, I walked in there. I'm like, what are your names? And they all told me their names. But that bed, I still remember it. And anytime I go in for any kind of surgery, I'm like, is there that? The bubbles are, no, no, no. I've never had it again, except for these <laughs> surgeries. But what the idea was that the one doctor goes in, the breast surgeon goes in and does the mastectomy. And then the other, the plastic surgeon comes in after him. And what he does is he, he they put an expander in and it has, a, I don't know how many cc's of saline solution, I think it is. And like, you know, sew you up and um, at some point you wake up and you do have, I do have a scar from that. And I thought it'd be like across my breast, but they were, they did it only on the, on the um, outside side of the, of the breast. Like if you looked at me head on, you couldn't necessarily tell that I had a reconstruction. Uh, That's kind of like scary. a scar. <laughs> like a scar right there I don't know <laughs> well now I have the other one that matches too so how did but you when feel when out, you um when you woke up I'm a fan of symmetry <laughs> I'm not see I am not it's really funny except when it comes to breasts I am not a fan but when it comes to breasts I am how did I feel when I woke up yeah I felt like oh my god it was it was that's 
anybody's into surgery, it's that feeling. And the first thing I said, I saw my mother there sitting there and I said, did they keep the nipple? And she said, yes. <laughs> I'm so happy. I was so, so happy. Um, That's incredible. And I was like, what does it look like? Because it was like all covered up. I'm like, what does it look like? She goes, it's small. Your breast is smaller than, than, than the other one. But I knew that they were going to be expanding it because apparently it was, the skin shrinks as soon as you remove the tissue from it. Um, and a couple of days later, or maybe the next day, I, the morphine was so nice. The morphine was just, it was <laughs> like pain, click, gone. Um, I was in a lot of pain, but I was going to say my, my uh, old boss who had recommended this doctor to me called me the next day to check on me. And I was like, oh my God, you wait till you see it. It looks so good. And my mother was like, what? <laughs> I was so high. I was like, he later told me, he goes, you know, you promised me you'd show it to me. I'm like, I did not. <laughs> like, you said it. And mom's like, yep, you did. <laughs> wait till you see it. Honestly, so like everyone says, ridiculous things before and after surgery like there's <laughs> got to be a book somewhere of like all the crazy things people have said <laughs> so it was I think I was in the hospital for a couple of days and then I went home um what did it look like bruised bruised and oh and I had drains I forgot about this I had um there were three drains coming out of my of the side of my uh, like one up above my breast one a couple under my arm I think and they do that so the fluid drains so it doesn't build up inside you and you have to um squeeze them out and I wouldn't even look at them I was I was always a um it's just like what are they um squeamish person I am mm -hmm. not so squeamish now I'm still squeamish but not as I was um because by the time I was done with all of my surgery I knew it by heart I could do those things I could clean out those drains myself I needed no help but that first one I would not even look at and luckily my mom was with me for the first week so she would do it for me. Nurse showed her how to do it. And I would literally, it was twice a day and you have to measure and so on. So she would, she would, um, I we would go in there. I'd take my top off and she would like, you know, squeeze them out. And um, we did that for, and you measure it, you send it in. And I think we did that for a week and then they take the drains out and you're good. But it was bruised, bruised, bruised and tender, tender. And, but, and the nipple was like flat, like, that was like, I, mm -hmm. it, it, the, the areola was still the same, but that was all, they were stitching over it because they cut over the areola as well. Um, and by the way, just ladies, the areola heals so beautifully. Like it's, I could, if I really dig, I can see where the scar is, but it's, it's not like regular skin, like your skin on the yeah, side. Yeah. Like the scarring there is hardly visible. But the, 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 the nipple was very flat and just like flaccid. Like it just was like, oh. like, I think it was just tired because it sure is not flat now. <laughs> Were you worried about the results? Like, how did you feel when you looked at, at what it looked like right after your surgery? Okay, you're going to think this is weird because that first one, I really didn't look at it too much. Once I saw the bruising and how ugly it was, I just didn't care to look at it much. It was just, you know, and you're, you're, and you're tired. I was tired. I slept. I slept a lot. Now I know like the body needs to sleep to, the body sleeps to, to heal, but I slept a lot and I was tired and I didn't really look at it until later like weeks a couple weeks later maybe after my, my post-op were you like consuming content at this time I'm just so curious and when I say that I mean like were you watching shows or like I might have been but I don't remember this was 2008 so it was almost like I could stream Netflix you know yeah um they, yeah, Netflix was still on discs yeah you're still sending <laughs> yeah I guess I'm just curious if it was like you were surrounding yourself with like positive, like not just people, but like every little thing, or if you were, I don't know, you know. I, I don't recall being conscious of making those, making decisions to, um, um, for positivity. Uh, 
people were sending me flowers. People were sending, I got this book called, I think it was called Uplift by my team. So I, I come from a big family and it's just like, and one, one of my brother actually said, I, did, I didn't know how to talk to you about this. I, I didn't know how to say, say anything to you. So please don't think that by not saying anything, I didn't, he's like, I just didn't know. And to me, it was that, that level of transparency or honesty where it's like, I just didn't know how to talk to you. I'm like, it helped me understand what people on the, the support side was going through as well. Um, I, my, I have, um, I don't have this, you know, you had mentioned about Netflix was still, we were, you know, on this back then, my sister, my little sister sent me, um, just right before the surgery, sent me, um, back then, we didn't have Spotify, and we didn't share playlists, we made discs, you know, music, on, I don't know what it was, um, Napster or whatever, I don't know what we were playing music from, but it was a disc of, two, it was two discs of music, of music she knew I would like, and honestly, she's going to kill me if she hears this, I don't have the discs. I do have the cover of one of the discs. I surrounded, she wrote by hand the names of the songs. And one of the songs on there was Pretty by, or You're So Pretty by uh, the Cranberries. And that song just made me cry because right, I was like, it was the sweetest thing. And, and so she has bigger boobs than me. And like, it was always that thing where she's my younger sister, has bigger boobs and not mine, mine are little boobs, you know? And, and she was like, and there used to be this like contention between us, you know, and bras and stuff and all that. And she, and we would make jokes to each other. And she, her note to me, and that is, I, I'm so sorry for all this, for making fun of your breasts all this time, or for every joke I made about your breasts. And you don't want her to be sorry. You just want your life, you just, it's just like, it's okay. I actually enjoyed all those jokes. But that song and that cover of that CD are still with me. It's just, it's just like things like that happen when you talk about like you're surrounded by the positivity. Yeah, I don't, don't know that I was emitting positivity or consciously seeking it, but certainly I was very, very fortunate and lucky to have a good support system around me that just reached out in moments. So after you get the expander taken out, you have the implant put in and we don't go, have to go into heavy detail about that, but you also got an implant and you said you also got an implant in your other breast too, right? Yeah, so they when they when they finish like so they they keep adding uh I think I want like every couple of weeks to get CCs more and more fluid put into it to ex continue to expand it, and it was a little bigger than the other side. They didn't have them exact. So what he did was what the surgeon did was he put a tiny little implant under the right breast to match the sizing. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you something that scar to this day is still vivid. Not as it's been years, but it's still vivid. But yeah, so that 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 matched them up, and that scar felt like hell. He, I would go to him. I had to go to him a few times that he would inject uh, some kind of steroid into, steroid into it um, that would uh, alleviate the pain. Um, but yeah, no, to match the two breasts, I had a little implant put in the right side. And that was actually quite a thought process for me. And I actually, and I asked a few people like, would you like willingly, not for medical reasons, but for this was clearly vanity to me, do something like that, go under the knife. Like to me, it was anathema. I would never go under the knife for vanity reasons. I would never, never do plastic surgery. So to me, this was a, a moment of vanity. I remember one friend who said, I would do it. You want them to match. You didn't like, it was like people would say things, you didn't ask for that cancer. No one does. But so I did it. I went ahead and did it. I was like, at least now they, they, they match, you know, size wise. Did you get an option to change your size or did you want to stick with the oh my God, yes. you had? Yeah. So the doctor goes, so my plastic surgeon asked me, he's like, would you like to go a little bigger? And I, I was like, what? Bigger? Why would I? You can go bigger. You can do that. And he goes, well, yeah, I'm putting, I'm going to put the implants in. And he has these like 
four or five different sizes of implants in front of me. And he, I mean, he brings them out and shows them to me. And I'm like, I don't even want to be here. I just want to be the same way I was when I came in. I don't want a memory of, of this. I don't want to go bigger. And I was like, just make me a C that I, the C, the C cup I am. And he goes, well, you're a B. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And he goes, yeah, B. And I was like, I'm a C. No, you're a B. And like, I'm like, you're going to argue with me? Now, this is a breast surgery, a breast of uh, plastic surgery. You know, like, you're going to argue with me? Who the hell are you? It's my breast. I'm like, I'm a C. I wear a 34C bra. And he goes, all right, B plus. And the way he said it, like he wasn't an arrogant doctor. He has a snarky sense of humor. Like, and I just laughed. I just laughed. And he and we had a little moment there. And I'm like, okay, I'll go with the B plus. Make me a B plus. That's where I am. So I guess with him, I'm a B plus. So yeah, I did have the option. I didn't want it. So you, um, you have the expander taken out, then you have the implant put in, but what happened after that? You heal, and then the next year you had another surgery, right? Yep. Like a year and a half later, I had another surgery or a little less than that. I, uh, so I still have to do mammograms. And I still have to do breast exams because the right side's still there. So, and they're a little more, um, but they follow you, these doctors, once you've had cancer. They, they, they want to make sure. So they're aggressive about you getting that mammogram. So I, I go in and do the mammogram. Apparently they found something. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding and while we're waiting for the results to come out, I, he said, the, I asked the doctor, you know, is this something now that I'm always going to have to go through? Like, if you think you saw something, I have to do another thing like this. And he said, basically, you're in that population now. So yes, if we suspect something having had, and you've had cancer before, we will check this more aggressively, you know, like, and, and think you might have cancer. So I'm yet again, planning a trip with my mother to, <laughs> to travel when this comes up. And and I said, well, when am I going to get the results? And he said, I think it was like next week or something. I was like, I don't have next week. I'm leaving and I want to, and I, I want to know now. And, and he said, well, I can always call you. I'm like, well, where I'm going to be, you probably won't be able to call me. It's, it's really remote. It was like in a flash of a moment. I, I just decided, nope, I'm not going to, if you're going to do this to me every year, I'm not doing it. I don't have time for this bullshit. So I said, you know what? don't even bother. Let's just do a prophylactic mastectomy. At this point, I'm very well, I'm very knowledgeable. I know all about mastectomies. I even know <laughs> prophylactic mastectomy. I'm like, no, we're doing it. He goes, and I don't remember how he kind of like just tried to dissuade me, but I recall him saying something to the effect of, there's no reason to remove healthy tissue. Like, I, I, you know, there's no reason to do that. Let's see what the results are. And I said, I don't care what the results are. I'm telling you, I'm having a prophylactic mastectomy. I want this gone. Like, but you guys have made me a decision maker in this. You know, you made me, you gave me that power. I want it. So he, this again, why some doctors and some people are just really good. He compromised with me. He said, okay, um, I'm going to have them speed up the results. And here's where I learned that doctors can get those results faster than a week if they want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Okay. I am so glad to know that information because I'm a negotiator. So if I'm ever in a situation, I use this knowledge for yes. my own yeah. personal. They can. Oh, they can. <laughs> they can speed up. They can put yours ahead of anyone else and get that thing. Like, so because I was like, I'm getting on a plane in a few days and I've made this decision. And he's like, tell you what, we'll, 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 see, if we can, we'll see if we can get the results sooner and I'll give you a call and I get I think it was a day later, two days later, because I, I remember I was packing, right? It was like the day before my trip. And he calls me and says, okay, good news. It's benign. I'm like, great. I'm really happy to hear that. I'm still doing it. <laughs> and this is, this is the negotiating part where, where we come to this compromise. And he says, tell you what, when you come back, you've got your, you're going away for two weeks. 
when you come back or three weeks, whatever it was, you think about it while you're going. When you come back and if you're still of the same mind, we'll do it. Um, and my poor mother, yet again, going through. <laughs> She's not going to go on any trips with you no. anymore. <laughs> I hope you broke. I hope you broke the streak eventually. And if you haven't, you need. Well, to. there's only two boobs, so hopefully it's done. <laughs> True. <laughs> so it was the trip. So we got back Christmas Day. I remember that, and we just slept. We were so jet lagged. And the next day was a Monday, if I recall. I called the doctor, and I'm like, "I'm ready. Let's let's plan." And he goes, "Why don't you come? Why don't we meet?" So I met him. We chatted, and he. We even walked out. I was his last patient to see, and we even walked out of the office together, but he said, okay, if this is what you want to do, then we'll do it. We're ready. We'll set the appointment. Wow. I think he just wanted me to be sure. Like I'd made the decision in the office, a split decision right there. And I think he just wanted me to be sure when I think back. Well, I can, oh, you can't take it back, you know? Right, right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. and I remember he told me as we were walking out, he goes, in my experience, women who make this decision feel much more empowered. And it, he's right. It did empower. Me. And like, he knew what he was talking about, but I was just like innocent and naive. they were naive still, you know, I hadn't had it yet. Did you feel like you were kind of back in control? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, now it's like set the date, plan towards it. Yep. I tell work, I'm going to be out for this many things. I do not have cancer guys. It's prophylactic sur surgery. Anybody who wants to know about it, come talk to me, you know, like, yeah. So I know you had another surgery down the line and we will get to that. But before I talk about your other surgery, tell me some ways that your life changed. It can be something as small as, you know, how you bought bras or clothes or something as big as like how your, how sex or relationships changed before and after you had these implants put in. So the first thing that happened to me with respect to clothing and bras was I realized that I needed a bra that fit both breasts because one moved naturally and one didn't. And there was nothing out there unless you wanted some like old lady thing, like you couldn't, I remember I, I used to get my bras at Bloomingdale's or back then when it, I cared enough, like for Victoria's Secret, I don't care now for them, but. Um, I feel like um, every guest we have at some point has to tell us that they hate Victoria's Secret. <laughs> so, um, and I remember going to Bloomingdale's, again, my mother was with me um, and I um, I have a really good mother. I just want to tell you, I have, I have an awesome mom. So she was with me and uh, this one young lady, and it wasn't her fault. She didn't know about this stuff. You know, and I'm asking, I'm like, this is the problem. And then she said, I don't know how, but somehow she connected me with another one. Apparently Bloomingdale's had people who specialize in mastectomy bras or something like that. There was something like that. You might want to look into it as a bra designer over there, like see what Bloomingdale's, but I recall something okay. about this. Um, and they, uh, so she showed me some bras, but again, it wasn't like I had one hard breast with these, with this implant and one breast that just did its normal thing, like flopped when you ran or ran down the stairs and this other one just sat there. If you gained weight, this one got fat, that one didn't, you know? That implant was great for this for the keeping them the same size as long as I didn't get fat. So that was one thing. And it was so frustrating. It was so, so frustrating. So you, I ended up what I started doing was I would get a bra. Oh my God, I haven't thought about this in forever. I would buy a bra that fit as close as possible. And then I would fill. I also started um, wearing a lot. I, I love scarves and I wore scarves before, but I started wearing a lot of strategically placed scarves around my chest because my cleavage was shit. I had horrible cleavage. It didn't, it was shaping itself and doing things in ways you'd never even thought of. Like that's something I didn't have control over. Um, it was frustrating. It was so, so frustrating. So that was when it was one, when it was lopsided. And then when I, when they, when they, um, I had the prophylactic surgery, that was nice because the, 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 the implants were exactly the same size. 
but they were both hard still. They didn't, neither one responded to temperature change. The nipples were always hard and they hurt. They, they, they not hurt as in pressure pain or, or they, they would, um, my chest itched all the time, all the time. Like I would scratch my chest raw while I was asleep. And then during the day I could, I could control myself. What X is describing is a symptom of post-mastectomy pain syndrome. Although it was first discovered in mastectomy patients, it can occur after lumpectomies as well. About 20 to 30% of patients experience PMPS after breast cancer surgery, and the symptoms include dysesthesia or chronic nerve pain in the chest wall, armpit, or arm. It can occur to varying degrees, and X had a particularly severe case of it. It typically presents as pain, tingling, numbness, shooting pains, unbearable itching, and other symptoms that can't be alleviated and don't go away over time. It was awful. And it wasn't until I was speaking as an aside to a dermatologist, and I mentioned this, and he said, that sounds like dysesthesia. Whoa, I have a new word to go look up. So I go look this up and on. I, and I realized, because the other doctor just said to me, it's, it's just the nerves. They've been cut off. They're just nubs now. They're trying to regrow. As I, if I understand correctly, nerves at that stage don't regrow. I think, I'm not sure. I don't think they regenerate, but we can look that up. And one, the first time this happened and I had scratched myself raw and I went to the doctor and he's like, whoa, what happened? You look like you landed in a rose bush. Like it would, I would, I would, one of the things I changed in my life was keeping my nails very, very short and blunt. I would get a manicure that would, and I would make sure that they put the nail polish on the tips as well. So it would make them very um, uh, uh, dull. So I couldn't scratch. I mean, save going to bed with, with hand mitts on. I, 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 I suffered through this for the whole time until the final surgery, the last one. Was there any way to treat it? Was there anything you could do for it? There were things where they wanted me, oh, they wanted me to go on this thing where, oh my God, it's medication that changes your reroute. I don't know, change sensation. I can't remember what it was, but I was like, no, I will suffer through this. I don't want to go on to something that can screw up my body. Um, so really no, that I'm aware of. And, and the thing is that I had a severe case of it. My doctor said it, this happens. They expect it in some, you know, sometimes, but I had a really, really severe case of it. Often it'll start and then it'll dissipate over time. Mine didn't, it just did not. So some years down the line, you had another surgery. Can you tell me how your breast changed in that time and why you made the decision for your next surgery? Oh, can I actually go back and tell you something else about how my life changed? Yeah. Just one crucial thing that yeah. I think is important for anybody who's listening, who might be going through this. So I was dating somebody at the time who stuck around with me until the first surgery and then just disappeared. He just, I, I don't know. We weren't, hadn't been dating very long, but he just disappeared. So this, ha this happened and I... I, of course, was like, he couldn't take it, my breasts, all this and all, but I kind of like started focusing on my boobs and I didn't date anybody for like the whole time I was getting the surgery, all the surgery for those two years. It's very, one thing that did happen to me was my sense of confidence in myself as a woman. This is a, I, I never thought about my breasts as being a core part of my identity. They are to me. They, I realized this when, when I didn't have them and when they, then they were just like fake breasts and I couldn't even call them breasts. I would often refer to them as just these things. You know, at some point when, when I was back, life was normal again for me, you know, internally. And I was like, oh, maybe I can start dating again. And let's just say for a good six, seven, eight years, I had a number of first dates. It was all, you, I'd reached that point where I'm like, can I even, should I mention this? Is this person worthy of knowing the scars that are on my body? 
do I want to go through this? Are they going to run away if they find out I had cancer? Are they going to think, no, she's not free of cancer. She's going to get it again. And I'll get stuck with her. And that stopped me from really, truly like, so during my thirties, I really didn't date much um, beyond maybe a first or second date. Cause it really wasn't, I was scared to, to, um, to, 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 re to reveal that part of me to, to a man who, who would judge my beauty. You know, um, you know, you meet someone, it's like, we're we're attracted to people sometimes before we even open our mouths, and it's physical, you know. And I was so I was I was just so I knew my body, I knew myself before this, and I did everything I could to fix it. And suddenly I was I felt like I was broken still. And I the, the, what what didn't help me when I look back on it now is that I thought they were ugly. I, I did not like it. I did not, I could, I could hardly look at my own breasts after that with, with it. And over time, my body changed. I gained weight. Um, a depression set in for a little bit. I saw a therapist for this to help me with it. Um, I was, I was working. I was, I was, I was managing my life. I was getting my master's degree. I was doing all that, but there was this part of me. Remember how I said, I like, I, like I work in parallel lines for my life. I did not like my body. I was so unhappy. And when I gained weight, the breasts didn't grow. So you can imagine you're getting bigger. You're like, even your shoulders look big when you gain weight, but my breasts stayed the same size. Couple that with, I think into year five, four, five, it felt, it seemed like they were shriveling. No bra could fit them. No bra, nothing I tried. And when it was a cupped bra or, or a foot foam in it, my breasts just sat there and they were ugly. So then you were leading to the set, the final surgery I had, that's what led me there. I was in a miserable place. I really was. You would, and I kept a good facade. Like I didn't, I didn't want anybody to ever know what was underneath there or what I was suffering. Um, I, I didn't like myself. I did not like my body. I was not happy. Did you have any inkling that this might happen to your implants, no, that they might nothing. change? They didn't tell you? No, no, no. I didn't, and I don't know that they knew this could happen. Like, I knew that your body could reject implants. I didn't know if that's what was happening to me. Honestly, there's moments now where I think back and no one's told me this is my own conclusion. I really think I might've been allergic to those implants because once they were out, I felt I, I didn't have it again. It came back now and then, but this is Deja, that weird, weird, weird sensation. Let's start talking about your next surgery. Yeah, so my last surgery. So this was in 2016, so eight years later after my first one. and. Um, what happened was I was so unhappy with my breasts. I just, and I had my yearly checkup with my doctor. Honestly, I don't know why I didn't go to him sooner, but I just figured this is the way they looked. This is it, you know? So was, this was the regular breast surgeon. Um, I took my bra off and I said, I'm not happy. And this, again, this is that really good doctor who just listens to you. And I just broke down. I'm like, what happened? These don't look like what's how they started. And he basically was like, this can happen. And I don't remember what he explained to me and so on, but he's like, but we could do that deep flap, the flap surgery for you if you wanted, and that could help you. And I was like, you mean that surgery I couldn't do early on? So what I didn't say, and I totally forgot about was they, one of the things you, one of the ways they can reconstruct you if they're not going to use implants is the flap surgery where they just, it's like a life, it's the exact same, well, make it simpler. They basically take your belly fat and replace your, put it in your boobs. That's it. Um, I was too skinny. I didn't have <laughs> enough fat. For once in my life, I'm, someone says I'm too skinny and it's not to my advantage. I was too skinny. <laughs> yeah, right? Like I was, 
healthy back then. Um, and I was, I was very proud of my body. I was very, I just worked on it. And it wasn't like I was, I wasn't skinny, honestly. I was just, I just didn't have enough fat on my belly. I mean, I don't know, maybe you were they're taking it from my butt or my thigh. I'm sure there was enough fat there, but I guess they don't take it from there. <laughs> like I have other places you can right, pick from. Right. right. <laughs> so, um, so, but now I had gained weight and he, it was six years later and it was like, and he goes, basically just, you know, we'll set you up with the plastic surgeon again and he can assess you and we can take it from here, but we can do this. We can, we can make these your own. And I'm excited. I'm so happy. So I see the plastic surgeon and I'll never forget the moment I'm sitting there. Look, I've gained all this weight. Do you think we could do this? Here's what I want to do. And he goes, well, and he goes, show me your belly. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> I want to see what, like, what I have to work with. I'm like, Ooh, I don't want you to see my belly. It's really big. <laughs> yeah, can like, you just check it without looking? I would just say <laughs> this is this is the B plus guy, right? Yes, this is the B plus guy. <laughs> this is and, and so he, uh, so I'm like, all right, here it is. But it's not always like this, you know. I just gained a lot of weight. I really did. But anyway, so I never saw a more satisfied look on that man's face when he saw my belly. He goes, oh, we can do this. <laughs> like you've got enough fat that we can do this. What a mix of feelings though. It's like, I'm yeah. so happy, but also like, really? Yeah. Like <laughs> I was upset. I was too skinny and now I'm happy. I'm fat. So, so, so that's what we did. So he, we set up the appointment uh, for my surgery. It was a 10 hour surgery um, where basically they went in and it's the same the way he explains to me. It's the same um, procedure for the belly that they do for liposuction. But instead of throwing away the fat, they put, they keep it and they put it in your boobs. So they take the fat from there they and obviously this is very a rudimentary way of explaining it um, but and they remove your implants in my case they remove my implants and they replace it with that fat and they reroute all the 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 blood vessels it is the coolest thing like to think these they're like magic hands in there rerouting blood vessels making sure you know you're, you're it's amazing i have like nothing but awe for these doctors who do this stuff it just amazes me um so i come out of the thing when i wake up i have this in a Sharpie across my chest, it says no pressure. And they have to make sure all the, I guess all the blood vessels connect and stay and they don't want anything stopping it and the blood flow works. And I've got, uh, so that was that. And it, again, it wants- I like the broken. multiple layers of that though. Like <laughs> no pressure, right? <laughs> it's not just for them. I feel like that's also for you. <laughs> like, true, you, true. you can take from that as well. It's like an opportunity. Yeah. But also like, I don't know how I feel about how I would feel waking up and seeing a message like that. It would be like if you woke up and it was like this side up. <laughs> <laughs> but the message was for the for the people taking care of me. I think it wasn't for me. Like I looked and I saw, but what, and what they did was I remember they would come in morning and night and they would check the blood flow, the arterial blood flow, and then how, the vein blood flow. And I was like, well, what's the difference? And I would the nurse was so much fun. She was like, well, see the arteries sound this way. Do you hear it now? The veins sound this way. Do that, you know. So, um, so yeah, so I had that surgery. Um, I think I was in the hospital for, again, a couple of days. They don't keep you in too long if you don't need to stay. And that's a nice thing because I always want to heal in my home. Like I, home to me is like, I, if I'm sick, I need to be at home to get better. Mm -hmm. um, so that, with that, I had the same scars on both sides of my breast and uh, drains. And I thought the incision was going to be like three or four inches. It is from hip to hip. Oh, hip wow. to hip. And I just can imagine like when I laid down on that bubbly bed that they put me on, he just took her out. Was it knife or scissors? Just cut across. Like, oh my God, you literally were in there cutting in there and taking my fat out. 
Um, I kind of had like a lumpy part on my on my belly that wasn't like you got in here. Oh, and they also told me that they repositioned my nipple. My, oh, not my nipple, my nipple, my um, they repositioned my um belly button, apparently. Because I guess when they take the fat out, your stomach now is now smaller or your belly area is smaller. So they've got a, they must have removed some skin. I would love to talk to my doctor about this. I never did. But they have to, he, I remember him saying we repositioned your belly button. I want someone to make a cop like a New York times or not new york times the new yorker comic out of this scenario <laughs> oh, sorry we moved your belly button i just picture it with like a little band-aid in one spot and then the belly button is like maybe just above the band-aid or something i don't know so how was this round different than the last time how did you feel after happy oh i was so happy like this this there was the uncertainty that i had felt throughout the other ones or that followed me throughout those wasn't here it was like these breasts they were pretty from the moment I saw them. They were, I, I loved them. And three days into being home, I was changing my, no, I had I would put on a white t-shirt and I had leaned over and the light hit me in a certain way. And my mom was, my mom was with me again. <laughs> my mom goes, hold it there, hold it right there. And I said, she gets her camera and she goes, you're going to love this. And she snaps a picture. I still have this picture. It is a silhouette of my breast with the nipples hard, but it's a silhouette of my breast. And it's just the most beautiful thing. Like I, I tell you, like what changed for me was a love of myself. They flop now, like when I run, they, mm-hmm. I lost weight after this. And I was, look, so, so I, a few years later, I just decided I'm not going to be fat anymore. I don't want it. I've never been this way. It's, I, I was able to lose the weight that changed. I, you had to gain weight though, in order to have that surgery that's like what's sort of like weird when you look back on earlier earlier when you were talking about your first implants you said you didn't even really think of them as your breasts you called them these things yeah yep did you still have that disassociation now or are they yours no 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 that you know what that the word you said dissociation is perfect that's exactly how it was before that no i love these things now i love my breasts they're not things they're really anatomically a part of me like I'm talking to you now and I'm holding them like, and they move and they fit in a bra and they, mm-hmm. they reshape when you lay, like you lay down, like before I, I could, if I laid on my side, they didn't like lie with you. They just stood there. You know, they, they, they move now. They lie. They, they're supple. They're, yeah. They're breasts. They're breasts. Yeah. And I still can't feel like, I still don't have that sensation. I don't like, I, I, I don't respond to cold or hot. My nipples are always hard, um, but I love them and I have cleavage. Oh, I have cleavage. It's so nice. It's so nice. Like real cleavage. So that answers my question now. Uh, my next question, are, are you happier now than you were 10 years ago? Are you in a better place? I'm in a much, much better place than I'm happy. Like, I, I look at my breasts now. I like, I love them. I, I really, I never looked at them before. And when I, when I did, it was like, ugh. I can really hear the change in your voice too when you talk about how you feel now versus versus what they used to look like. Yeah. Did you ever consider yourself a survivor? I hated the word survivor. Hated it. Hated that connection. I didn't like that word. I never wanted to. I just didn't want it. it I think it connected me too much to cancer. I did not like the word survivor. I wanted to be a person who had something and got over it. She'd done it. And I remember the example I gave somebody once where it was like, you get strep throat, you take the medication, you do what you need, you heal, you move on. No one says you survived strep throat. No one says you survived 
you know, you, you just move on. I did not like that word. Yeah. I didn't want it. The victimhood didn't, I didn't like it. I, and it's one of the reasons I actually left the job I was in when I had this uh, after my second surgery was that everybody knew. And while it didn't really matter that everybody knew you got that look like, so I just didn't, um, I moved on to jobs where like new people didn't know me and I didn't have that, that quote unquote stigma. And I know it's not a stigma, um, but it felt like it. You had a, a name for yourself, didn't you? You had something you called yourself? I think it was something like an ex, like I was ex-cancer, like that it kind of like decapitated or, or excised cancer from me by saying that. And I actually like the letter X too, <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, so just call me that. Call me an ex-cancer person. Don't call me a survivor if you want to associate, if you want to bring that cancer thing to me. But by the way, I don't have it anymore. And you know, what's funny. It's like, I never thought that, oh, I have so much to live for. That wasn't the driving thing. It's like, I can't deal with this crap. I, I don't have time for this. That's the way mm -hmm. my mindset was. If you could give one piece of advice to someone going through something like this, what would it be? Research, read. You have the power to make those decisions with the doctors read and research. If you're living with breast cancer yourself, taking care of someone with breast cancer, or just want to know more about the topic, X really recommends Dr. Susan Love's breast book. First published in 1990, it's been through several updated editions since then, and X says the book was a real eye-opener for her. She says she was wiser in her understanding of cancer because of that book. It helped her, and if you're going through something like this, maybe it can help you too. I thought you were going to ask me if I was going to give anybody advice about their breasts. And I was ready for that question. <laughs> well, what, what is your advice about breasts? Feel your boobies. That's simple. Feel your boobies. What word do you use most often for breasts? Breasts. What's your least favorite word for breasts? Titties. Disgusting. You were ready with that. <laughs> no, I was not. I've listened to some of your podcasts, so. <laughs> it's just, it's not a pleasant word. No, you know? it's very derogatory. It's very demeaning. Mm -hmm. Like tits is okay. I don't, I, tits doesn't bother me as much, you know, but titties, tatas doesn't bother me. Do you remember your first bra? I remember my two first bras. I got them together. Yeah, they were, and they were lacy. I remember they were like, they were tiny. They were so tiny. <laughs> uh, but yes, um, my mom took me to this store. I don't remember what it was. Um, and uh, I think it was right before I got my period. Like right before. And my breasts were tiny. Like I've heard stories where women say their breasts just popped out. Mine didn't. Mine took their time. And um, But I got these two. She kept calling them trainer bras. And I hated that she was calling them trainer bras. I wanted bras. I was very happy to have my first bra. It was a cream <laughs> one, uh, a nude colored one, and a white one. And I, I guarded them. I loved them. Like it sounds like out. your mom has really been there for you from start to finish with this whole journey. From the beginning and now still. Yeah. She's just awesome. What type of bra, if any, do you prefer and why? Oh, I am wearing the best bra. The, this, is the, this bra is so lovely. It's, it's, I just discovered it a couple of years ago. It's my third love and it's called the, uh, the uplift, uplift plunge bra. And it's just so comfortable. It's, it does have underwire. I like underwire for the most part. Um, but it just fits perfectly and is mesh with, I guess they're foam cups. I don't know what they're, but, but that's my, that's the bra I love, love, love. 
I love the uplift, uplift and plunge. Yes. Uplift and plunge. Yeah. It makes it me think of almost so like it, that's what it does. If you think about it, it really does. Like it lifts you and then it lets you plunge. Yes. It's very like um Reese Witherspoon is legally blonde, where like the bend and snap, I feel like in my head it's now like yeah. we lift and we plunge. <laughs> what is your favorite thing or something interesting about your breasts? I love my cleavage. I love that answer. Yeah. <laughs> I just love my cleavage. And can I I have two more things? You can have as many as you want. <laughs> I, my nipples are always hard. I know that, but I love them. Like I, they're sacred to me and I love it. I will never be able to use them for what they were like to, to breastfeed or anything, but fuck that. I love them. And I guess that's it. Cleavage. What do you think is the hardest part of having breasts? Well, I've done the hardest part. The hardest part is everything I just went through is what was, it's, it's the cancer. That's the hardest part for me. Um, and like there are women who will say like heavy, big breasts are heavy. My back, I never had any of those. Like I, I didn't have that experience. Um, and I, I don't even know that if you asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have had an answer or 13 years ago, I would have had an answer, but it's the hardest part about having breasts is the cancer part. What do you wish that those who without breasts knew about breasts? I have never even thought about this question. Like I have never considered this. Like, like, let's say you were talking to like a dude, right? Just like run of the mill dude. It's a first date. And he's saying like, there is nothing hard about having breasts. Like, I wish I had breasts. Oh. I'd look at them all day. What is something that you would, you would want him to know? Well, this again, so I, this is like caveat this with the fact that I, I don't have this anymore, but the one thing that was, I, I honestly hated this about having breasts about, um, and this is something somebody without this would know. And again, has everything with being female was my breasts hurt when I had my period. They mm -hmm. hurt, they really, really hurt. They were so tender, so sensitive. Um, and like, it was like, I literally had two days of pain with that. So that, that, that would be my answer to that. I don't have that today because I do have my period, but I don't have sensation in my breasts. That's one nice thing that came out of having cancer. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a good conversation. And um, if there's any, unless there's anything else you wanted to share, I think that's it for us. We've covered a lot, but I do have one thing I'd love. I really would like, I'd like to give a shout out to all the caretakers who have, and the people who form support systems for anyone going through breast cancer or for that matter, any other kind of cancer, but the caretakers, I think the stress I went through my mom went through too from her side, my sisters, my brothers, my friends. Um, so just a shout out to those who care and take care. Thank you. Thanks guys. This was really therapeutic and, 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 and good. I don't know the last time I talked so openly about the whole
Very Breast Podcast Ever was written, produced, and recorded by Nadia Figueroa and Alyssa McHugh. Cover art by Alyssa McHugh. Opening music by Margaret Tran. Check her out on Spotify. For episode transcripts and sources, please visit our website at theverybreastpodcastever.com. Do you have questions? Corrections? Do you want to tell us your breast story? Get in touch with us on Instagram at theverybreastpod or email us at theverybreastpodcastever at gmail.com. If you like our podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, share with your breasties, and consider donating to our Patreon. Thanks for listening. Now go out and make today the breast day ever. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.